Is head fund manager David Tepper getting tepid on U.S. stocks? You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. Hello. David, in the intro there, did you see what I did with those words? Mm-hmm. David Tepper? I actually know what tepid means, tepid. too. Do you really? You thought my... means lukewarm. <laughs> very good. Right. Very good. That'd be the Webster's Dictionary, I believe. Hey, we had a coworker get a what uh, an engagement ring online. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you are thinking about for your own relationship? Online, online. I I'm putting you on the spot. I here. don't think I'd do online. But you are getting a ring. You're in the process of getting a no ring. No comment. <laughs> Can't comment on these. these <laughs> oh, that's so much fun. I had to do that to you. Let's get, let's get to the first headline. First headline of the day is from CNBC. David Tepper on the market. I think it's nervous time. Another quote from Tepper. This, is, this was at the Skybridge Alternatives Conference. This is Tepper. This isn't me. He's a, he's a Jersey guy like me, though. He said, I'm not saying go, go short. This is regarding U.S. stocks. I'm not saying go short. Just don't be too friggin' long. Don't be too friggin' long. That's what David Tepper it's, says. It's nervous time. I was just picturing David Tepper's outlook. And from like 2 to two to 3 o'clock, it's like nervous time. <laughs> it's nervous time now. There's one hour of the day where it's, it's nervous time. time. Yeah. Uh, does, this, does this worry you? I mean, he's, he's a smart guy. He's done very well, runs Appaloosa Capital, which is one of the more successful hedge funds out there. Does his warning signal of sorts, does that worry you? Uh, definitely something to take notice of when someone's that successful what do you make over three billion dollars last year but he's still human right i mean he's not can't see the future of of what's going to happen and to me it doesn't make me want to sell any stocks hearing david tepper say that personally what do you i mean you don't want to look at anyone say their their opinion is gold and it's never Mm going to be wrong we we maybe say that too much about warren buffett sometimes just because he's been right so many times but even he makes mistakes sometimes Mm -hmm. david tepper he made three billion dollars last year but he's still human he he may not be right on this. I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that he's looking, well, he's got to be looking at the same things that the rest of us are looking at. And so it doesn't surprise me to hear him or anybody else say this. I mean, stocks have done really well over the past few years. If you look at a lot of the different sectors of the market, market doesn't look cheap. It doesn't look crazy expensive, but it doesn't look cheap either. So it's not surprising to hear somebody running a hedge fund saying, eh, I'm not crazy about U.S. stocks. And, and he's running a hedge fund, and we talk about he made $3 billion last year. Mm-hmm. Usually hedge funds are looking a year out. They're looking for the opportunity. Right, one, what's going one year, on one year. right now? If the question was, what's the most attractive asset to hold for the next 20 years if I want to go move towards retirement? I think it's still going to be stocks. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're biased here in the U.S., but I think it's still going to be U.S. stocks. So over the next 10 to 20 years, I think that's still where you're going to want to be rather than gold or bonds or anything like that. I will be interested to see Tepper's first quarter 13F filing. Big asset managers, including big hedge funds, they have to file the 13F HR report with the SEC on a quarterly basis that shows all of their long holdings. And as of the end of last year, Citigroup was Tepper's largest individual stock holding. He was also long AIG, MetLife, and JP Morgan, or his fund was. Was he friggin' long? I... Well, Citigroup, I guess you can argue he was. There yeah. was a significantly larger position than the next, than the next longest. Uh, the next longest, the next largest, either way. Either way. So I guess you could say he was friggin' long Citigroup. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
It'll be interesting to see if any of that has changed significantly from one quarter to the next. Indeed. Second headline. Second headline. This is from Fool.com, our own John Maxfield. He says, Annually Capital Management's new strategy seems short-sighted and bad for investors. And John's just putting it all out there in the headline, right? Short-sighted, bad for investors. We should point out that John has not been a fan of Annalee going back. Understatement. Yes, that is an understatement. He's he's never been much of a fan of Annalee. He's highlighted the the changes in management, the externalization of management, so it kind of doesn't cloud compensation. It basically just hides it. Hides, yeah. Uh, hides exec- what executives are being paid. And only they're not crazy about the strategy. The strategy he's referring to in this article is the company's move into commercial real estate investments mm-hmm. away from the traditional agency mortgage-backed securities uh, that they've been successful uh, at since their inception. So John is saying this is risky because before they didn't have to worry about default risk, their assets going bad, going into commercial real estate. They have to. They mm-hmm. have to worry about that now. And does this company really have a core competency strategy anymore, or are they just reaching to find opportunity there? It's still a very small part of their business. As a shareholder, I'm not freaking out about that. Agency NBS still makes up the biggest part of, the, mm-hmm. of their investments there. So this is just a small experiment, if you want to say. Maybe they're seeing, can we make money in this, in this opportunity? So I'm not seeing it as a huge bad for investors like John is. Annalie, like the other mortgage REITs I look at as a jockey play, and Wellington Denahan, going back to the inception of Annalee, has a ton of experience investing in the agency mortgage-backed security market. And she, along with the, the other founder, uh, since passed away, uh, Mike Farrell, mm-hmm. they're experts. It, it, she, he was an expert in that market. She's an expert in that market. So it does seem a little bit worrying to, to, go outside, to go outside of that market, uh, a market that, that Annalee has been successful. I mean, this is a business that's been around longer than the other mm-hmm. mortgage-backed securities. Um, at what point would you get worried about a business shift? It would have to make a, of a very significant portion of the assets. And I think the way their investment 25, guidelines... 25%. I think that's the most they can have. I, I would start to get curious at... at 25%. How about if they're at 15% and they put a vote to shareholders to up that 25% to 50%? I would have, as a, as a jockey play, I think you'd have to see why are they doing that? What is their strategy? And if you agree with it and it makes sense, trying to read through kind of the sales portion of it, mm-hmm. maybe make a decision then. But it would certainly be something to, to keep an eye on. So you own Annalee. I own Two Harbors. Two Harbors already doing yeah. a lot of and agency mortgage-backed security is just one piece, one potential piece of the puzzle for Two Harbors. I prefer that approach of being able to look for relative value all across the, the mortgage investment sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Two Harbors does that hasn't been what Annalee has done. So, And, I mean, stuff can change. And um, this is a complete guess about what could potentially happen. But what if Annalee is saying we're moving more into non-agency market? Hey, we're hiring some people from Two Harbors. Stuff can, I mean... They're not leaving they're, Two Harbors. Okay, I know you don't want them to leave. They're, not, they're saying, not going to... They're not since going it's out. such a jockey play, you can hire people with the expertise. And that's a potentially uh, an avenue for, for success there. But we'll see. Third headline. Don't take you're not, two you're not, you're, not ta- you're not taking my two harbors, people. This is from Bloomberg. Aircap finishes $7.6 billion ILFC deal as AIG narrows AIM 
First thing that's interesting about this headline is it wasn't a $7.6 billion deal when it was first announced. Aircaps, uh, this deal is for ILFC, the, the international plane leasing business from AIG. They were looking to sell that to focus the business down back to its insurance roots. It's for Aircap stock. There will actually be a, an AIG exec on the Aircap board now because AIG will own so much of Aircap. Uh, but Air, Aircap stock's done so well that this deal is now significantly more valuable to AIG than when it was announced. Uh, they're going to AIG, that is, is going to report a $2.2 billion pre-tax gain on the sale. Mm-hmm. And that'll add almost $1.97 to book value, to, to per share book value. So, so is that the $2 billion that's included that's already moved up since the initial price? That's, or at that's first it was kind of like a break-even, and now they're getting $2 billion. Well, they, they have to settle all kind of, of debt and intercompany right, loans yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing. So this is, this is the total okay. 2.2. Now that the deal is closed, is the total profit that they're going to be reporting over and above the, the cost that they have to take care of and that sort of thing. So looks nice pretty little good. boost. Yeah, but. it looks, looks good to, to AIG, for, to me, as an AIG shareholder. Now the question is, and I, I don't have a ready answer for this, but how is AI, what is AIG going to do with this, with this value mm-hmm. that it's brought in? Uh, one option, since AIG's stock is still trading significantly below book value, mm-hmm. is take it, buy back, buy back a whole bunch of shares. Assuming they get approval to do so. Why wouldn't they? Got to work with the Fed. Are you standing in? Got to work with the Fed. Got to work with the Fed? Oh, Yeah. Are you going to stand between them? Are you going to? No. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little one-time boost. Obviously not something you can count on. A recurring thing for AIG is selling a $7 billion asset. But a nice little boost. I'll take it. It still goes to shareholders here. Focus for the, for the day. We're going back to Fool.com. This is an article from uh, Brendan Matthews, which as of this morning was on the top, uh, the top of the site of Fool.com. The title is Want to Succeed at Investing. Focus on Not Failing. Brendan quotes Charlie Munger at the beginning. Friend of the, of the show, article. Brendan Matthews. Friend, yeah, friend of the show. Good call. Friend of the show, Brendan Matthews. More than an acquaintance of the show. More. An actual friend. Way, way more than acquaintance. He was part of the, the inaugural a, TMF more, stock draft. More than a friend? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, we'll leave, that, yeah. we'll leave that open. We'll, yeah, we'll put, keep that in the gray area. Okay. So he quotes Charlie Munger at the beginning of the article who said, this is when he was asked on how to succeed in life, Charlie Munger said, don't do cocaine, good idea, don't race trains, and avoid all AIDS situations. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a, it's pretty reasonable advice from Charlie Munger. Uh, but basically what he's saying is, don't fail. Don't, don't do things that are going to cut your possibility to experience success short. And one of the other things that Charlie Munger has, has said in the past is invert, always invert. So if you're looking to succeed, flip that on its head. How do you not fail? Mm-hmm. So, David, I was thinking of some of the ways when I approach investing, how I go about not failing. Why don't you start us off? With I want to hear some of yours first. You want to hear some? Yeah. I've only got two. Okay, yeah. They're, great. I'll, they're, I'll build they're, on re- they're really good we'll ones. Make them better. They're good ones. Okay. You won't make them better because they're already great. The, the first one is don't buy things that you haven't done work on, that haven't done all of the work on, I mm-hmm. should say. I'll, I'll admit, this has been a problem for me in the past. I. You, you know me, I get excited about things. I get, I get fired up. I, I hear about something. I, I see a, a company that, that I think is interesting, that I think may be of value. And sometimes I'll jump a little too quick and grab that stock before I've done all of the work. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that works out for me and sometimes it doesn't. But that's not the kind of, I mean, that's not the kind of success, quote unquote, mm-hmm. success that you want is having a 
random company that you've bought that you haven't done the work on end up working out. That's luck. That is luck. Um, instead, do all of the work ahead of time, understand the company, understand the opportunity, understand the valuation, and then sometimes it still won't work out. But over the long term, if you're doing, doing those things right, success should follow. I'm going to go with looking at past performance. And admittedly... Don't look at past performance. Don't look at past performance. Don't of the look stock. at past... Of the stock. Of the stock, okay. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to everyone and listening <laughs> and viewing that. I have never looked at a past performance stock and been like, I missed hey, it. Gu- I missed gu- it. Gu- guilty over here, too. If there's someone who, out there who's never done that, please raise your hand. I bet even Warren Buffett has looked at something and been like, it's, he, he has. Wasn't there one stock that... He, plan- he was planning on buying more, and he said, well, it went oh, up a little bit. wasn't that Walmart? I think that was it Walmart. It was Walmart. So yeah. he's like, oh, it went up a little bit. I'm not going to uh-huh. buy it. And then it went on to 10x or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is a mistake. We know that you shouldn't look at past performance. It, look at something like Amazon. You could say, oh, it's gone up so much. And it continues to go up as the business continues to evolve it and do more things. So that's a mistake. Don't do it. You're going to do it a little bit, but just be mindful of when you're doing it and when it's not appropriate, which is... The time. That's a good one. You weren't lying. You came up. You, did you, you came up with that on the fly. Always. Sheesh. I gotta stop doing work ahead of time. Uh, my second one is don't sweep your mistakes or successes under the rug. Uh, one of the one of the big things, one of the big evolutions in my investing over the years has been to try to be better about keeping an investing journal. And I interviewed Michael Mobison, the author, investment thinker, strategist, guru. over guru at Credit Suisse, and. One of the things that, that he emphasized to me is it's really important to keep an investing journal. And what this means is when you're going to buy or sell or make any changes to your portfolio, you record what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So that when you go back and it's time to figure out, well, this worked. Let's figure out why it worked. You can do that. Or this didn't work. Uh, let's figure out why it didn't work. Um, that's the way that you're going to learn. That's the way that you're not going to re- repeat mistakes over and over again. So... Sweeping mistakes under the rug or just cashing in your profits and not worrying about what it was that made something successful or not, uh, I think is, is a way to fail. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a mistake, uh, more of just a think about this. But when you, if, you're, if you have a position in, in a stock and you want to sell it, mm-hmm. asking yourself, well, then what do I do with that money? Rather than just selling it. It's, mm-hmm. Do you want to hold that in cash? Do you want to put that into another stock? Do you want to put that into an index fund? I think a lot of the times we just say, okay, now is the time I want to sell it. It's too expensive. I don't want to hold it anymore. But then you're making the decision, now I have cash in my portfolio. Do you want that cash or what do you want to do with it? Mm-hmm. So not thinking the next step after the sale about what you want to do with that money, I think can potentially be a mistake. Because if you just went and sold and sold and sold, before you know it, you can have a whole lot of cash in your portfolio, and depending on your situation, that may not be the best thing for you. So you're saying, if you're ready to sell, know what you're going to do with the money afterwards. Correct. That's the yeah, and and one of the things we've heard Tom Gaynor talk about is, I think it's with CIO Carmax. of Markel, for those yeah. that don't. With, with CarMax, he's basically saying, oh, I have to think about the tax consequences, too, because once I sell something, I'm going to have to pay taxes on it, and I have to find an opportunity that's more attractive than what I'm currently holding to make up for that mm-hmm. lost taxes there. Now, I'm not saying don't think about, don't like base everything off taxes and what you're going to have to do with taxes there, but that opened my eyes to be like, oh, maybe you have to think a little bit more about what is that opportunity cost of that cash that you have now. All right. Well, 
I don't think we've covered any of the points that, that Brennan, Brennan made. In, I, I did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've covered any of the points that he covered in his article. So I encourage all the WTMIers to go on to fool.com and check out Brendan's article and see, I think it was seven points that he made, seven, seven pieces of guidance there, in addition to your two great ones mm-hmm. and my, I, I guess, Mediocre. pretty, yeah. Pretty Did, good do you have ones. his written down? I don't. Okay. Why would I do that? I was going to say if you had a favorite one of his. Do you? I don't remember. <laughs> it was a good article. <laughs> why'd you, why'd you ask me? me? I was hoping you did. Because I have a piece of paper here. Where's your paper? Where's your cheat sheet? In the noggin. Yeah, look how good that worked out for you. All right, going on to the game for today, we've got a little bit of fool in the blank. Easy enough. We've got a sentence, a blank in the sentence. We fool it in, mm-hmm. which is a cute way of, yeah, you know, you know how it goes. All right, let's go ahead and see the first one. Fool in the blank. After the Citigroup Mexico shakeup, I feel blank about the bank. David, blank about the bank. You like that? David, fool in that blank. After the Citigroup Mexico shakeup. Kind of sounds like a dance move. Uh, <laughs> Citigroup Mexico, Mexico shakeup. Uh, I feel the same about the bank. Uh, they fired 11 employees mm-hmm. from the uh, Mexican unit that was claiming that one of their clients had fraudulent activities that impacted them, had them take a loss. So I feel the same. I would hope that they would clean house. It seemed, from the reports of what was happening, it seemed not to be a good process down there, a well-run team uh, in that unit there. So I feel the same. I would be concerned if they didn't do the shakeup, but I feel the same. I would expect this from them. Although I guess for the sake of listeners and viewers, you weren't, you're not terribly bullish on Citigroup to begin no, with. No, but I, I, would ex- I would expect Michael Corbett to at least take care of that. Okay. Yeah. What do you feel? I feel marginally less enthusiastic. Not a lot. Oh. But not a lot, but it'd be a lie to say that it, that, that I see something like this go I on. Love it, <laughs> and that oh yeah, I feel so much more confident. I, I, I mean, I guess I guess you could try to try to play the game where it's like, well, there's something went wrong and they took care of it and they fired eleven people and this. I mean, you could you could do that, and maybe some people legitimately believe that. But I look at this and it, it's like, okay, well, Citigroup has operations around the globe, and that is, I mean, I mean, that's the strength, that's the the competitive differentiator that you're going to look at as an investor to say this is why I like Citigroup. If you're not, then I, I don't know what you're saying is really the competitive differentiator mm-hmm. why you want to own this. And then you look at this situation in Mexico, and then you, I think, you have to wonder. Well, how strong is the oversight of all of these individual global operations? Maybe, I'm not saying it is, but I said on the margin, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not as strong as it needs to be. All right, second scenario. If I was just getting out of school, I'd want to live in blank. What do you got? I've got to go first. I I came up with this. I read it. You read it? Uh, I'd want to live in... I'm just going to go with... I I actually didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. (laughs) I'd want to live in San Francisco. That, that's actually you where, did live in San that's where I did live coming out of school. If I had it to do it over again, I'd do it the same way. Downside to living in San Francisco is that the cost of living is very high. But what I loved about living there is, A, there's a heck of a lot of job opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, so no matter what ends up happening, if you, you have a job and you don't like it, you can try something else. Um, there's a lot of startup job opportunity there in particular. And I think you get you get a very different experience. You get that entrepreneurial, scrappy kind of experience that you don't get at bigger companies where you're wearing a lot of hats, you're doing a lot of different things, you're learning a lot of different things. Um, and, and, and I think that's really helpful. Um, and above all else, you're just in a really cool place. 
Oh, I, sh- I should also say that you're just surrounded by a lot of smart people. Mm-hmm. So whether you're at work or at the bar or at the MoMA or wherever, you're probably learning something from somebody. Interesting. I made a pretty good pitch there, yeah, didn't I? Very good. <laughs> You're going to say San Francisco now. I was going to say Russia. You're going to say Petersburg. Are you kidding me? I'm kidding. I really don't know. California sounds pretty good. Where did you Where did you move when you when I got out of college? Charlotte. Charlotte. Would you recommend that? It's I mean, it, it is. It's, it's it's May. And Talk about cost have, of living. It's May, and we do have college students that listen to this show. You didn't believe it. But I think Charlotte's the number one kind of cost of living for a big city. In the country. Can't get better than that. I paid like 500 bucks a month for a downtown apartment. Did you like living in Charlotte? Yeah. Got the Panthers? No, the Bobcats. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to, are you trying trying to, sell, to sell the city or, or what? Got a new baseball Panthers. field downtown there. Who, it's nice. Who plays there? The Charlotte Knights. Triple A. <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. So uh, I guess San Francisco it is. Yeah, do, okay. Do we have a third? Did you come up with Yeah, any? one more. Oh, we do have one more. This isn't even this you, is you a actually, serious one. You actually did come up with a full of blank. Blank. Would make me sell my largest holding. What's David. your largest holding? Full in the blank. What's your largest holding? Well, you got to go first here. My largest holding is Markel. Mm-hmm. So all the bad things coupled on top would make me sell five straight years of very poor underwriting. Mm-hmm. Tom Gainer's out of there, or yeah, Tom Gainer's out of there, mm-hmm. and the price is above two times tangible book. It's probably an unlikely scenario, but all those three together would make me sell. Okay. What do you got? Mar- so Markel and AIG for me are both up there near the top, and depending on how the stocks are performing, they kind of trade off. So you covered Markel pretty well. I'll go with AIG. I, I think it's it would be a matter of the leadership change the leadership changeover not going well. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ways that that could not go well is they look outside of AIG, bring somebody from the outside in, and potentially lose Hancock and or uh, Jay uh, Wintrop. Wintrop. Yeah, potentially lose one of those two guys who I think are very important to the business at this point. Or they promote one of those guys and lose the other one. Uh, so those scenarios in, in a leadership change uh, could, could put one nail in the coffin. We don't see continued improvement in the property and casualty insurance business. Uh, that would be another, another big one. It's, it's been improving. I think we could say that that's getting better. We'd like to see that get even better, continue mm-hmm. to improve. And number three, um, seeing the company take too much risk in its investments. So like every insurance company, AIG collects premiums up front, invests it in a variety of different places, largely fixed income, but a, a number of different places. If they're getting too risky, they can run into... Not the same problems because they don't have that financial products division anymore, uh, but run into the same problems that they did in the past. All right. So those would be some things that mailbag. we Mailbag. Okay, mailbag. Uh, we have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. We love to get emails, questions, comments from our viewers. This one actually goes back to December. December of 2013. This is from longtime faithful listener Mike Volberding. And, uh, and Mike writes, uh, th- this was, we were talking about when AIG and Aircap were first putting together this deal. He writes, even though you guys don't know how to pronounce lessor, he writes it out for us, which is helpful. Occasionally we get things wrong. You really missed an opportunity to take a deeper dive into aircraft leasing when AIG virtually gave away ILFC. The popular business media just focused on AIG getting out of a non-core business, as did you guys, and completely missed what it meant to be acquiring the company, uh, what it meant to the acquiring company, Aircap Holdings. 
As a proud owner of Aircap since August 2011, the stock has risen from $10.39 per share to $39 a share, with about $18 per share after the ILFC acquisition. They were the big winners in the transaction, but everybody wanted to talk to the media about savvy AIG CEO Bob Benmache. I'll just, I'll just happily hold onto my Aircap stock. You should uh, be looking at both sides of the transaction. Aircraft leasing is an interesting business. Like any lesser, you want to keep the equipment in the hands of paying customers. Airlines come and go, but the airplanes keep flying. It goes on for a little bit more. So just wanted to point out how, how wise many of the WTMI listeners are. This is why we love getting these emails. So Mike pointed out that the stock price has gained significant ground over the time that he's owned it. I went back and looked at some of the historical stacks. In, in 2011, when Mike said that he originally bought Aircap, this business could have been bought for well below tangible book value. And this is a company that had historically produced reliable, uh, relatively reliable year-after-year double-digit returns on equity. So this is, I, I think this just highlights the simple, simple formula for investing success that I think we've talked about with, with some of the banks and some of the other areas of finance is that you look for businesses that are consistently returning these double-digit returns, uh, these double-digit returns on equity, and when the, they're out of the favor with the market, when you can buy them for less than tangible book, as, as Mike had done with Aircap, I, I need not say anymore. All right, let's finish off. In the Twitter sphere. One tweet. Are you, are you trying to steal my... One tweet. You're stealing my... This finger. is an awesome tweet. This tweeter's awesome. Okay. This man. Well, right. Oh, you got it's it. From, it's from David Hanson. What's he doing? At TMF Hurricane. You should follow this guy. Yeah. Really witty. Really funny. <laughs> He's uh, just trying to get more followers. He says, any reckless prediction on what Buffett and the two T's, that's Todd and Ted, have been buying. Berkshire's 13F filing will be out today. How do you know it'll be out today? I know. It will. Seriously, how do you know it'll... There's a schedule. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. Where do you, where do you find this Reckless schedule? prediction. Uh, it's a secret. <laughs> um, I, I think if you're going reckless, you got to go Kellogg. We were just talking mm-hmm. earlier this week about how options traders have been betting on Berkshire acquiring Kellogg outright. So I think if you're being reckless, you say, well, Berkshire's been buying Kellogg stock in preparation for this acquisition. I don't think that's the case, but that would be reckless. I'm going with reckless Microsoft. Why, why would they go with Microsoft? Why would you not go with Microsoft? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, it's a reckless. It's a reckless prediction. We're already over time for the show. You're going to get me started on no, why no, no, not no, to no. buy Microsoft. We yeah. could be here all day. I'm just saying it's a reckless prediction. Yeah, that is pretty we'll reckless. See we'll see who's right. All right, that's the show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. You can find us on Twitter. Don't follow him on Twitter. Follow at TMF Financials. <laughs> He's at TMF Hurricane. Go ahead. You can follow him. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Swell if you'd like to listen to this show in audio format. That's all we've got today. We'll see you tomorrow.